welcome to another Round the Rotary uh, podcast with me, your host, J.P. Warren. And, uh, and with us today, uh, well, actually, before we uh, even do that, we gotta, we got to do the standard uh, intro. Uh, Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants. CPC special, specializes in project engineering, well-site supervision, and all disciplines of oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And that was it. That was my... Uh, that was the intro, and honestly, guys, I want to, I want to, guys and girls out there, I want to thank everyone uh, out there for uh, tuning in. Um, we know you have your choice of a uh, oil and gas related podcast, and thank you for choosing the number one oil and gas related podcast per my wife. And uh, with us today in the studio, we got uh, Stephen Forrester, the uh, content development manager at Gyrodata and uh, contributing writer at Oil and Gas Global Network (OGGN). Is that right? That's right. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. So Thanks Stephen, for having me, Steve. What, Stephen? Stephen's good. I dig it, man. I dig it. So, so Stephen, um, first off. Thank you for coming in today. Um, so for those that you don't know Stephen out there, um, I've, I've noticed kind of a lot of uh, his content and uh, his discussions on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, he's very engaging. He's very um, rational and logical uh, when he does uh, engage in uh, conversations uh, regarding the oil and gas industry and um, all, all aspects of the oil and gas industry. And uh, recently, I, I've noticed that he was uh, there, there's been several posts about you know the end of oil, peak oil, blah blah blah. You know fossil fuels are over. You know renewable you know renewable energy is the way of the future, which we're all, we're not disagreeing with. But at the same time, as I saw how he engaged with him, uh, with uh, various people on the internet, and I think this type of message and his 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 uh, platform and his tone and his uh, ability to engage with people. I thought was one of the things that we on Ryan the Rotary have been discussing is being an industry advocate. And uh, so that's why you're here today and also just to meet you. And we were just talking before we were supposed to film, record this about an hour ago. We got lost in conversations about cheesy 80s horror flicks, uh, rock and roll, heavy metal uh, concerts and all that stuff. So, Stephen, thanks for being here, man. Thank I, you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having so me. So why don't you? Why don't we do what we normally do? Why don't you just kick off and uh, talk to us about kind of uh, uh, where you're from, uh, what brought you in here, uh, uh, everything like that. It started us off. The whole shebang. The whole oh, shebang, right. buddy. I'm a, I'm, I'm a Bel Air, Texas boy, born and raised, been here my whole life. Uh, I'm a, I'm a true homebody. I'm, okay. I'm never going anywhere. <laughs> never going anywhere else. Um you know, grew up pretty normal life. I'm an only child. All right. Uh, actually lived in the house that my dad bought from my grandma. Really? Uh, back in the day, pre, pre-Harvey loss, you know, but yeah, it was a 70-year-old house that okay. my dad bought for about, I don't know, 20, 30 grand back in the day. Uh, you know, good good times. But uh, Good old days. Yeah, and, and, and t- typical, you know, growing up and, and school and all that. I always had a passion for uh, you know, for reading and writing and literature and, and all that. So that kind of led me into studying English and, okay. and English lit, uh, also education and my undergrad. And then when I did my master's, just kept on going. So, so. you went, to, so originally you went, to, you got your undergrad in, uh, in, uh, ed- English, English. Right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, what'd you want to do? You wanted to be a teacher? I was going to be a teacher. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I thought I had it all figured out. Well, uh, what brought, what, why, why, why'd you want to be a teacher? I thought I could change the world. Okay. Um, I, you know, I love the idea of going in there and, uh, you know, it's funny we talked about this earlier, but, you know, about making that impact on a kid's life, even if it's just one, right? Right. That, that's the victory you're looking for. Did you have like a lot of good, uh, teachers or mentors like back in the day? Is that why you kind of wanted to pursue that? Maybe high school. I mean, I I had some memorable teachers, but really my most, 
you know, important mentors in my development were in, in college. Okay. Uh, I had two professors specifically that really, uh, really kind of helped get me where I am. And, you know, one, he was, a uh, he, he was a British romanticism professor. Okay. Uh, Yale educated, uh, spoke four languages. You know, the, the guy's CV was a mile long, just incredible guy. Um, and British romanticism was my concentration so okay. to get really in the weeds with that. That's what I studied. Let's get in the weeds. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Not? That's um, fine. And the other one was a guy named Irving Roth. That was, his name was James Pipkin. Okay. Uh, and then the other guy was Irving Rothman. Uh, he was my dad's professor at U of H, uh, to tell you how long he had been there. And the dude was just, uh, I mean, so much knowledge and everything. You couldn't even imagine what was in this guy's head. All right. And, uh, it, it was funny because when I was in my I guess it might have been my master's, but I was taking a course with him, and he had a he had a he had a problem, a health problem, and he ended up getting a pacemaker, and he could not drive to the campus anymore. Okay, and he lived very close to where I lived, so he asked if I would drive him to campus three times a week because the master's courses were three hour blocks, so it wasn't your little typical you know hour hour and a half type thing. So I, I said yes, and I started taking him to class every time, and this guy was just amazing. I mean, everywhere you'd go. You know, we'd drive up 288 and down McGregor and stuff, and everything was a story. Everything was a memory. And he just, just, just incredible guy. Great and, storyteller. Uh, I, you know, I actually only found out recently that he passed and he was, he, I mean, he was, I think it was in his 90s. So okay. he, he did, he did well. He lived a long life. He was a technical writer actually on the side. So, you know, PhD professor published God knows how many things. And he did technical writing for Exxon and NASA and all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, so he, he was one guy and then Pipkin was the other and, they were kind of the ones that not only got me interested in pursuing writing and, and, you know, literacy and all that, but also in wanting to do more with it than teach, I guess you could right. say. So that Changed was really, the world. yeah, that was in my master's where, you know, I, I had thought I'd teach. I went and did a, a student teaching job at, um, at my alma mater, which is Bel Air High. My mentor there had been my English teacher in 10th grade. So really keeping it in the family. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, and it was great. I mean, I had, I had pre AP kids, so these are kind of the brightest and yeah. the best and the boldest and all that. Um, and it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And then I got out of that and I got the highest recommendation from my, well, why'd, uh, you, get, from, why, why'd you get out of that? Well, I mean, I, I finished it and you know, everything was good. I got, I got a good recommendation from my sponsor at the university. My mentor gave me good marks, all that. And then in, with HISD, which is my district, you had to go and kind of put your name in a, in a pool. Okay. Uh, you could spec, you know, you could specify a few schools you really wanted, and then you had to put your name in the general pool otherwise. And the, honestly, the chance of a new teacher getting one of the preferred ones was low, but I kind of hoped, uh, maybe I'll make it back to Bel Air. There's a connection there. Or Lamar debate, right. one of the high ranking, you know, at that point, those schools. Um, and I knew the principal at Bel Air very well. So it was kind of like, He'd been a friend since I was at Bel Air. I still knew him. And then, of course, he left right when I needed to get a job. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so my first placement was out in the boonies. It was just a it was a, you know, a failing, uh, you know, school with a, a really high rate of uh, student, you know, loss and failure, doing terrible. And that was kind of when it came to me. How, that, how, how was that going from an AP, I guess, type of a, a course or students or whatever you want to call it to a kind of a, one of, uh, what would you say? One of the, uh, there was a low, it was a high failure rate. And mm -hmm. yeah, how, how, I mean, how oh, would that change for you? Yeah. It's, I mean, because when you, I mean, this is how student or how schools are basically graded and how they get funding and things like that. So when you have a high fail rate and 70% of your kids are not passing their grades and they're being held back and all that. Uh, not only does it impact how much money the school is getting, but it impacts really what you can kind of do as a teacher when you have, you know, indifferent students, 
uh, oftentimes, you know, impoverished, maybe single parent or or foster parent type thing. Yeah. There's a lot of mitigating kind of circumstances for their success. Well, I mean, what do we, I mean, not to not interrupt you, I, I, sorry about that, but isn't that kind of uh, counterintuitive? I mean, wouldn't you assume that the, 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 the schools of the lower uh, graduate rates or higher failure rates uh, get more funding or get, you know, more whatever it is or resources to lift those uh, You'd think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you it's, not, think. it's not that way? No, no. I mean, you know, the way the, the way funding is doled out is kind of wonky. And I mean, there's a lot of things like teacher bonuses that are tied to student performance. Uh, if you get certain marks with how many kids pass like the standardized tests, for example, right, uh, and can progress to the next grade or how many kids take APIB tests and get uh, high scores on that when they transition from high school to college. So you're just teaching the kids how to take it. So a lot of times, yeah. I okay. mean, and that was a problem because I had this grand idea about I was going to come in and teach all this new stuff. And I, I don't know why I thought that. It was pretty naive. But um, I, I just thought somehow I'm going to do it differently and better. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to do it. And I went in and they said, no, here, you know, here's the curriculum. Here's your lessons. Here's all the books you're going to read. You're going to, you're going to prepare for the whatever it was then. I think it was the tax back then or teaks or whatever and the star and all this stuff that ultimately that's what they have to pass. I mean, they have to pass the, the, the classes too, but they have to pass that test to move on. And yeah, standardized, you know, uh, testing like that is, is is just worthless, I, right? I, I, <laughs> no, I, I, I cannot stand standardized tests. And standardized tests, and the only thing that measures is how well you take a test. Yeah, you know, you like, can memorize information. I did horrible on SATs. I, I took my GMAT three times before I got, and I didn't get to the to the required, I guess, uh, score. You know, it finally got to the yeah. point where I like walked into the, the professor's office. And I was like, hey, look, you know, I'm kind of. I'm doing what, like in my class, I'm doing well. I'm a, I'm a performer. I'm one of the top two students in my class, you know, but I just can't pass this GMAT. And uh, they're like, well, okay, then you can do that. Then it's like, you got the, but that's the thing though. It's like these standardized tests, it's not, it doesn't gauge how intelligent someone is or how no. they can pro- solve problems or anything like that. It's just how you, well you take a test. It's, it's if you can memorize information. Yeah. I mean, and that's the problem is even students, I mean, you know, I like I did well on all that stuff and I did well on my SAT and blah, blah, blah. But that's because I studied and memorized things. Right. I probably would struggle to pass some of that stuff now because you just don't, you, that's the problem with that kind of quick rapid fire memorization where you go in, you put it in your head, you go take the test, you do okay. And then you discard it because you don't need that anymore, especially if it's not for your life or whatever you've chosen. I mean, me going to, you know, I'm going to do English. Do I need to know about biology and calculus and things like that anymore? And I, you know, I took some high level math and statistics and calculus and I was bad at it. And I, you know, I slid by with, B's and, and C pluses and stuff. And then I, I couldn't do any of that anymore. So it's a very, so the, the, the system that we have is very, uh, test take and standardized system for grading how well a school is or how well a class is. Yeah. Pretty much. And, and it's, and it's, you know, there's some aspects of it that are kind of fundamentally broken and not that I have all the answers either, but I think that we need to, somebody needs to take a look at it, preferably somebody in education and really think about, what it looks like to actually educate kids and prepare them for the future. And but is that someone in education to look at that, though? I mean, think about that. If, 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 if this is an industry or whatever you want to call it of people that are tenure, you know, this is the way we did it, this is the way we do it, this is the curriculum, this is the curriculum I've done, this is the curriculum that, you know, was handed to me before me. Is it really should be should it be an education? I mean, or should that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I could see it either way because, I mean, it's almost like oil and gas, right, where you have a lot of, you know, older people. Yeah. that are either retiring or have been kind of forcefully retired yeah. or they're preparing to retire. And then you have all these new people coming in. And so there's the age gap and everything that everybody's been talking about for a while. 
it's almost like that in education. You have all these older teachers, many of them, like you said, they're trying to last their 30 years so they can get their pension uh, and then they can roll out. And we got a lot, there's a lot of them like that right now. And so you have a lot of young people coming in too that maybe have those more radical ideas or ideas for change. Who want to change the world. Who want to change the world. And you have to have that nobility, which is where I was, which was where I was lacking. I just wanted to teach these little smart kids and, you know, help them be better writers and learn about all these great novels and help them gain these communication skills that they could carry forward, things like that. Uh, that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then I realized it's not in me to go to, to a low income urban school with a bunch of failing kids and try and lift them up. That wasn't what I, I that wasn't what I wanted to do. I somehow wanted to change it without doing that. I don't really know what I when thought. When in reality, that's an but, uphill battle, it sounds but like. That, it is an uphill battle. And that's what we need is, that's a that true, sucks. that's a true educator. That sucks. That's why I have so much respect for educators, because if you can do that and you can take your, your salary, which is not good, it's yeah. never going to be good. You can take that and you still go every day and you try and do something to make a positive impact on the world. And, you know, teachers are the foundation of everything that we do and have, right? With no education, there's no, nothing. But they get, the, they get the shit in the stick, though. Oh, they get stomped They do. On. I mean, they yeah. have to go in their own their own uh, back pocket to get uh, school supplies. Yep. Time. Just saw with somebody at Walgreens uh, a couple of days ago buying a bunch of, you know, markers and, and uh, you know, like white board yeah. things and stuff. It's just like. Probably out of their pocket. Yeah. I mean, the kind of stipend they get per year for that is like, you know, several hundred dollars. It's just, it's just insane. I mean, and, and it's all underfunded and. You know, teachers should be making a boatload of money. I, um, it should be an attractive market. And there's something, and I always, I always kind of mess this up because I'm not, I don't remember. I read this a long time ago, but there was some, there was some like experiment somewhere, and I think it was in Washington D.C., but I could be wrong. And nobody quote me on this, you know. But no one's they, listening. They, <laughs> don't worry <laughs> but, about that. No but uh, uh, the, anybody who's out there, but they basically did this thing, and it was they had this idea where they would pay like a pilot group of teachers an enormous amount of money, like six, I mean, six figure salary, which for okay. teachers is incredible. Right. Let's give them all a hundred, $120,000 a year. And then all of a sudden the teachers are happy. The kids are flying in the sky. Everybody's grades are going up. The schools are doing well. Test scores are through the roof. Life's good because happy employees. I mean, and everybody everywhere knows this, right? Talk to any HR person. I mean, you know, happy employees mean happy companies. Well, I mean, on on that note, you look at you know you look at the companies that you you want to go to Chick Fil A, Southwest uh, Airlines, you know all these companies that the that the actual employees have buy in and they have personality and they are happy. So yes, yeah. happy employees matter. Culture, culture, culture matters. Yep. And so they did that and it worked. And I don't know how we implement that at scale. I don't know where the money is from. Seems we can just kind of print money sometimes. So maybe <laughs> maybe we can just do that. But uh, that could be a possibility. Is lift their pay. I mean, I remember looking at teaching and, you know, my starting salary when I came out of my master's, yeah. uh, w- it was like low 50,000 type range. And that, that's all set by HIS. Right. So you can't impact that at all. And then you got little, like very small incremental raises every year or two, you know, 500 bucks here, thousand bucks here. And if you were there 30 years, it capped out at like 72,000 or something like that. So, you know, so, so you, you know, you're, you know, so you're, you know, you're, so you know, your whole life, yeah. you're going to, that's, you're never going to make more than that. And it's going to be this very slow, painful grind up towards that. And then you think people that get, get fresh out of college that are, you think a wireline engineer at Slumberger is out in the field in a truck making $85,000, you right. know, and, and it's taken a teacher 30 years to still not make that much. And so, yeah, I don't know how somebody can't look at that and think, yeah, it's kind of bad. So know? how do you get, how do you, how do you get the best minds to teach the future of you know our country? How do you, you know how do you get the best minds if you're you know paying them shit? You're not you're not giving them a lot of money for school supplies or any support or anything like that. So 
yeah. I think right now they're relying on a combination of the, the, the proud few who actually do feel education as a calling, uh, which are, you know, unfortunately they're, they're, like you said, they're kind of beat down, but they still want to do it because they felt called to do it. It's, well, like, it's, it's like call- serv- it's servant mentality. Well, whether, whether it's a calling or not, I mean, you still have to uh, make a living. Yeah. You still want to be rewarded, uh, you know, to take a trip, have a nice dinner versus, okay, well, I got to get school supplies, whiteboards yeah. for, for yeah. my, yeah. No, they need to be paid better. <laughs> they are paid more, um, given more autonomy and freedom to kind of create plans and curriculum and things like that, that isn't so bound to this really, you know, arbitrary set of, of goals and, Whether it's English, whether it's, you know, certain texts that you're forced to read. I mean, everybody has to read the Scarlet Letter or, you know, I mean, I I actually had a teacher and it was my senior year and she let us read a bunch of books that that were actually outside of the curriculum, which is really cool. We we read, uh, um, gosh, I'm just drew a total blank, but it's the book that, uh, we'll we'll edit that out. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's basically the book that apocalypse now was based on. Okay. And I'm just totally forgetting it. And that's, that's kind of shameful for an English guy, but well, you're on the spot, um, but Hey, you know, you're on the spot. It'll come to me in like 30 minutes. Yeah. It'll it'll come to me when you're driving home. But, um, it's where, you know, the guy says the horror, it's just, it's apocalypse now. And so we read that and we read, uh, uh, we read, you know, Things Fall Apart, which was actually by an African author. And so we kind of went off into the weeds a little bit. We read some Russian lit with like Dostoevsky. And um, so that was cool. Yeah. And everybody loved that because it's like, oh, f- we just don't have to read Dickens all year. You're not doing the same shit that's been, yeah. that's been taught through and the hey, last 40 years. And uh, yeah. And hey, Dickens is good, right? I mean, he, he's a good writer. And I, you know, I've read probably everything that he's ever written at some point. But just to go out of the little bubble... Because that's the thing, they're trying to narrowly teach certain like themes or yeah. ideas. Oh, uh, you know, Tale of Two Cities is all about paradox and conflict. Okay, There's so, so more than that. because then you can go to the tax test and when it says in a Tale of Two Cities, you know, what was the central theme? Was it A, uh, you know, paradox, B? And so then you know, oh, it's A, it's A, and you can go on there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the kind of stuff. So it, it's good to pull people out of that. And we actually watched Apocalypse Now in class over two class periods, maybe three, I don't know, because we had 52-minute class periods. So... And that was a violent movie and bloody and cursing and nudity and stuff. And hey, she she brought a TV wheel to TV, and, you know, from the that's IT closet or whatever. And we that, watched it. And, that's when you know it's going to be a good day. Yeah. And they start right. wheeling the TV mm-hmm. with a strap on the top oh, of the yeah. TV so it falls. T- times are good, boys. Yeah. You know, we're going, we're going places. But so that that's the kind of teacher and uh, that makes a difference, right? Because they, they're willing to take a risk. And maybe she got slapped on the wrist for that. I don't know. Um but that, that's what we need well, more it's good. of. I think it's good to kind of broaden or diversify whatever you want to call it, your viewpoints, whether you're getting it from, you know, one news source, it's good to do it, whether it's this, you know, this literature, read Charles Diggins. There's, it's good to kind of expand horizons because there's a lot of other different thought-provoking literature or ideas or thoughts out there. Yeah, there's. it's almost limitless. Yeah, I mean, it is. Even in college, you know, like I said earlier, I, I mean, I studied British Romanticism, which is – and all the big like Wordsworth and Keats and Shelley, that group, Byron, that group of poets and authors. And, but I actually had this really like peripheral interest in all this other like out there stuff, like Japanese literature, yeah. uh, French postmodernism. I mean, so I ended up taking like a French postmodern poetry class. And I mean, who knows if that did anything, but it was just like, I just needed to get out of it and just find this other stuff. And it was funny when I was doing education, I had a class where I had to, my final project was to make an entire curriculum, like basically design a college course, pick all the texts, 
uh, describe what the test would look like, how everything would be graded, attendance policies, conduct policies, everything. That was kind of like the final thing. And basically write this essay that was like 15, 20 pages explaining every step, you know, why, why this, why this, why that. And I actually did it for Japanese lit because nobody anywhere teaches Japanese lit because I don't know why. right? Right. I mean, that's kind of thing, unless you're in a small liberal arts college, probably in the North somewhere. Right. And in the South, nobody's teaching that right. stuff. So that was my idea was like, let's go out, let's go, let's go balls a wall with this thing. Like, let's find something crazy. Nobody, nobody's ever probably read any Japanese lit. You might've heard of one in passing, maybe, maybe. A, you know, maybe a Haruki Murakami or something or Kazuo Ishiguro. There's a few that are like Americans sometimes know who they are, right. but some of this stuff is just totally unknown. And I put it all together and submitted it and, you know, life's good. And I remember when I was, I was thinking about doing a PhD and I went to my uh, advisor who was also the kind of like the, I don't know, executive sponsor or whatever for uh, the rhetoric and composition, just kind of like the divergent paths you could take. You could either do literature or ret or retcom as they call it, rhetoric and composition. And I, I found that very boring. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't worth me doing it. Um, but I went to him and I was like, I have all these ideas. I want to do a PhD and man, you know, what if I go do like a PhD at Rice and then I come back to U of H and then I'll like create all these cool courses. Yeah. Same thing. Like change, a, change yeah, the world. Same thing. Like I was saying about high school, I had all these ideas and he, I mean, he looked me dead in my eye and he's like, what you want is never going to happen. Right. And like if, and, and, and that just takes and, this, the window. And you know what? Snow. It was painful, but I mean, honestly, thank God he did it. Cause a PhD is not easy. You know, yeah. and I was about to, I was about to dive into something uh, that potentially would have had very little life impact otherwise. Like if I have a PhD now and I was still doing what I'm doing for oil and gas, it wouldn't matter. I wouldn't right. make any more money or anything. You're a doctorate in, you know, in literature. Um, but he said that what you want to do, you're not in the right place. You know, if you want to move up to new England somewhere or whatever, and like figure it out, maybe they might more let you do something like that. But here's what you're probably going to end up doing. You're going to teach an English like 1201 type and a 2201, you know, kind of those entry level yeah. uh, college or I mean, high school kids are coming in and uh, fresh out and trying to learn some basic skills that maybe they didn't get in high school. You're going to do that. And then maybe you'll have like one that you really want to do. So you might get to teach like British Romanticism or something. But the struggle was they already had such established tenured professors. Uh, you're not changed. You're, nobody wants, nobody wants change. You're not going to displace them. No. I mean, and everyone's in it. And when, once change comes to the table, those tenured people don't, don't want that. No, I no. remember, I remember when I was, uh, when I was studying abroad, I, our grade wasn't made off the test. Just we're talking about the GMAT. It was, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, whatever, uh, a third of it was, was tests. A third of it was a uh, group participation so that you, you learn how to work with a group on projects so you know like okay you're responsible and then the other third of that was presentation so there was actual skills like that you can take with you after that class that yeah. you can improve on this is like i feel like in, in the u.s just like okay take the test forget it yeah and cram, then, and cram take it forget it well that's why you hear those horror stories about people get their first job and they've never used a printer right they don't know they don't know how to scan a document like they've never uh, you know, they've never done this or that on a computer I mean, we're, because we're, we're, we're learning long division. We should be learning how to balance checkbooks or, you know, look at stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get that you come with people and even like <clears throat> you hear that about oil and gas, right? Where maybe they do a petroleum engineering degree or some kind of specialized, uh, degree. And then they come out. And I mean, I heard this all the time when I was at LR, you know, I worked with a lot of, uh, guys that were, they were BOP specialist guys and they'd been out in the field yeah. and worked on all these things. I mean, hell, our VP had had patents on the Cameron type U, you know I mean? This, these were like heavy hitter dudes. And they said, you know, every time we get somebody new in here, they've read all these textbooks and they have all this, you know, knowledge of all the 
the the way it's made and the parts and the equipment, da da da. But they've never been in the field. They've never seen anything. And and I mean, not that I'm one to talk. No, I'm not no. in the field, but for that discipline. But you understand the importance of that. Th- yeah, they they don't get it because a b- reading a book is one thing, experiencing something is another. Which is probably in a you know in a whole another argument for why why don't we have more experiential learning and things like apprenticeships and 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 you know internships and stuff like that that have kind of not really my, been in favor I mean, of the my, US. Da- my dad's a professor and he, and he and he echoes exactly that he's like the the toughest things right now is those professors that have not had any real wor- world experience and they're trying to teach you about he's an accountant professor about you know teaching about counter practice but he's like that does that stuff like that does not fly in the real world so that's why you need that experience to yeah. order to speak to the subject yep yeah you can't just have the textbook knowledge so anyway so the education system, you can't change the entire U.S. education system. Unfortunately what not. Next? Yeah. <laughs> what next? Would, would bring us up to where you're at today because I want to talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, that didn't work out. One got, you know, kept on going, got my master's. You think you ever go back to teaching? Uh, probably not. In some I mean, sort of capacity? It, it, probably not. It, it, and I hate to say something like if I had to. I've always kind of thought in my mind if I had to, but I also don't want to be that person. Okay. Like, because I respect the profession too much to be like, oh, I'll just go teach and make a little, you know, make them ends meet. Right. That just seems kind of duplicitous. Um, but yeah, when I, you know, when I, I, I was waiting tables for a long time doing some restaurant stuff. And so I kind of kept going after I got my master's, did that for a little while when the teaching and all that and it hadn't worked out. And I got a job at Lloyd's Register through an agency, did some contract, uh, contract work with them. I was hourly. It was, okay. really, it was really simple. It was basically, you know, the company had formed a, uh, a new, a new division from the acquisition of two companies that did primarily, you know, BOP inspections for like compliance and, you know, statement of fact and all that, all the stuff that was getting submitted to Bessie or whoever. Um, so I went over there and we, what we, we had, we called them our deliverables, uh, and my group or the group I was in, we were responsible for editing and rewriting those so that when, because, I mean, I guess this was back when print was more of a thing. And we were putting together these massive binders and a 1,000 pages and stuff. And Everyone's going to read. Oh, and we're shipping them out to some guy. So some dude in an Apache office can put this thing in a dark room somewhere and shove it away just in case the government comes calling. Right? Put, it on that, put it on that shelf. <laughs> yeah. Let it click. Yeah. <laughs> but that was our job was that. Uh, and it, I was there a year. It was, it was a great intro. You know, like I mentioned, all these uh, incredible uh, minds over on the technical side. Uh, I, I saw it wasn't going anywhere quick, okay. uh, but the, you know, I love the people, uh, had a great opportunity left there to go to NOV. Uh, I knew nothing about what I was going to do at NOV. Well, well, was, well talk, tell me about that. how did you go from Lord Dredge to NOV? I mean, you were contract work and you just went over to NOV. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was looking for a job for about three months. Uh, and it was funny cause I never wanted to be a job hopper. And then I was, I was pretty quickly a job hopper, but I looked for a job and then like, I think like it happens a lot. I had this flood of jobs at like one time. I had four things come through that wanted interviews and gave offers and stuff. And I kind of saw my life taking, you know, a path, one of a, one of several paths. I mean, a couple of them are oil and gas. So I actually had an interview with like Stuart and Stevenson. And your dad was in oil and gas. And my dad had been in oil and gas since I was, before I was born. So you're familiar with So I, I already knew all about the, gotcha. you know, or I knew as much as a, uh, you know, a kid could. But, um, so I had the NOV, uh, which had come through for a writing job. Uh, it was called marketing and technical communications. Okay. Um, Stuart and Stevenson was like a content job. And then a law firm of all things wanted me to do business development for their oil and gas practice. Okay. Uh, so that was, the, I saw either I'm going to go into oil and gas. Or I'm going to do this weird law firm. 
And that's going to be dealing with oil and gas. That's going to kind of be either dealing way, with either oil way you're connected to oil and gas, <laughs> yeah. either way. But it was, you know, I went to the interview at the law firm and, uh, and I was kind of wowed by it at first, awed by it because, you know, it was, it was, uh, the 37th floor of this beautiful building. I think it was the old BG tower. I don't know what it is now, was but downtown, downtown, okay. uh, you know, and I went up there and I'm suited and tied and, I get you know, it. had my I shiny shoes and my Mont Blanc and life's good. And I'm wearing my dad's Rolex, you know, I'm ready guys. And, uh, I did three interviews and, I was like, am I going to do this every day? Like, is this, is this me? You know, you kind of get wowed. I'm looking out over this panoramic view and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. I want to work here. And then I started doing the interviews and I was like, wait a second, I'm going to be like an events boy. That was basically what they wanted was someone to help them build up contact lists and help with events and, you know, uh, networking and stuff like that. So pretty much so, what I do. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Which was crap. No, uh, but I don't know. Just uh, some of the interview processes were just not for me. And they did a lot of this like psychoanalysis. No, type, I get that. You know, I mean, that's the thing. If, if you, it's just like walking in a house, if you walk in a house, you don't feel in your gut that this is your house. Yeah. Don't go for it. I knew it when they started saying like, well, what's your greatest weakness? And you know, what, what, what's the biggest challenge you've overcome? What's your, what's your favorite accomplishment? It's like, Man, uh, can I just leave now? Would it be inappropriate for me to just leave? But so I, so then I went to NOV and uh, I interviewed there and it was great. I met my then boss, my first boss, uh, his name was Jason Hedgepath, just a phenomenal guy, still a friend to this day. I mean, my NOV people, this little core group that I had when I started, we still have group chats. We talk like every day. Okay. I mean, I love these guys and, and gals, um, but interviewed with him, did, did well enough to get called back. Uh, and it was funny because I was at our pressure control group facility uh, out in, uh, off Eldridge in West Little York. Okay. Uh, kind of, kind of approaching the boons, not too bad. Um, and I went in a full suit and tie, same thing. And they, they, they laughed me out of the building. They thought the it was, was this cat? And he said, man, if you come back, you can't, you can't wear a suit and tie again. If you, if we bring you back for interview number two, because these guys think you're like an insurance agent, like you're, you're here to like collect money or, like, you know, no, man, I'm just yeah. someone that wants the job. I'm like, man, come on. You I'm know, just I thought, someone that wants I, the look, job. look how fresh I look. But so they, they did call me back. I went to a different facility for the second interview and I met his boss, uh, his name, Melissa Pastrano, who was like another, just one of the most amazing professionals I ever met. I mean, uh, you know, fiery, uh, passionate spirit, yeah. uh, loads of integrity, um, you know, knew what was right and wrong, would fight for it, fight for her people, and also a lot of vision, you know, a, a, a team builder. Okay. One of those rare people that can just pick amazing people and bring them all together. It and doesn't all surround perfect. themselves with people that are just like them. They actually pick different strengths and weaknesses yeah. to blend them. Yeah. So I, I went to the second interview and it was in Parkwood, which is the corporate headquarters. And it was up on the seventh floor and they're actually preparing for uh, an investor, quarterly investor meeting or uh, investor presentation type thing. And, uh, I went to the office, I was talking to Jason and then Melissa came in, I met her for the first time and, uh, she sat on the end of the desk it was kind of like Jason's behind a desk and I'm on the other side and she just came and sat on the end of the desk. And I was kind of telling Jason about some of my challenges at LR and some of the really bad stuff. I mean, they were like micromanaging me and, you know, looking at what, you know, when I went to the bathroom, how long I was gone, just create. That creates so much employee yeah. loyalty. Yeah. I, that, I can't describe. I don't know why I'm not still, still yeah. going. Um, but. And then she, you have to get, you have to get a hall pass with a TT. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. I got and so, you. And so she, you know, she caught the end of it and, uh, and she just looked at me and she said, oh yeah, we're not about that shit here. You're going to be happy here. And then it was it. I knew I was like, boom, it's done. I'm ready. I don't care if the law firm even gives me more money or whatever, but I think about a boom, I got the job started in what was called dynamic drilling solutions. Another kind of newly formed business, bringing together some legacy, uh, 
technology and commodity items from MD Totco, uh, you know, like pressure gauges and sensors okay. and all that crap. Um, and then with new cool, shiny tech around drilling automation, drilling optimization, uh, drilling dynamics, stuff like that. Uh, did that for a couple of years, loved it, moved offices a couple of time, kept learning, writing papers, writing case studies. Okay. That, was, that was what they hired me to do was to write, build up their marketing portfolio. Okay. Um, uh, cause it was this new business that had no market equity, but it had these huge brand names in the back. I mean, MD talk had been around for a century or something. I mean, it'd been around for a long time. Um, and some of their other products like black box and, uh, you know, their downhole tools that had a so lot you of probably got pretty good exposure also to, I guess, the, the, the technology of the, the industry at the time, right. By writing all these, the content yeah. and writing the papers and kind of like, you're kind of learning about the, uh, the technology as well, not only creating yeah. the content. That's probably to this day. I mean, as far as, you know, as far as being a non-technical guy, I mean, that's probably still what I can talk about the most competently is, you know, downhole okay. and, and drilling dynamics and stuff like that. Cause I, that was my favorite topic. It always was drilling automation was like my thing uh, and drilling optimization. Love that stuff. Well, we're not here to talk about that today because <laughs> I know very little about that. So let's keep on, let's keep pushing forward, but don't, no, don't, don't worry. But, uh, yeah, so I was there for a couple of years and then they did a big, uh, corporate reorg. Okay. Everybody loves those. And uh, they put us all into a, a shared services model. So all us, uh, writers and animators and graphic designers and, you know, everything, we all got lumped together in this giant team in a consolidation effort. There were just, cause every business unit had these people and it was just a lot of people. It was like 150 people, just pretty, pretty substantial marketing group. And, uh, they put us all together, basically the same thing. And I was blessed. Uh, I still reported to Melissa. So now I reported directly to her instead of through Jason. So you had to, you know, get down and thank God for that. Um, and, basically did the same thing, but they just said, now just do everything for the entire company instead of one business. Okay. So you're just going to write all the stuff and do all everything for everybody now. How'd you feel about that? D- daunted. I-, I was daunted by it at first. And then I wasn't, it was fine you okay. know, because I loved learning. I was yeah. like, I want to get it. I mean, when you're talking about torque and drag and, you know, drill string dynamics and uh, you know, how the pipe works and casing deformation. All It's like, I want to know it all. Well, and, it seems like you do. I mean, you're talking about, you know, th- that teacher that really motivated you, that allowed you to read other stuff besides Dickens. I mean, it seems like you kind of want to expand your knowledge regardless yeah. what, what what you're doing. Well, and I never wanted to be the guy. My big thing was like, I don't want to go in here and them to think that I'm just a guy that puts words on the page. Right. I, I don't want to. What would you want to be? I want to be an expert. Okay. As much of an expert as I can be given my background. Did you have any goal while you were there? Did you want to stay in that role or doing that? I mean, what, what was your, what was your end goal? My idea was to keep on rising up, um, you know, and do the writing type stuff and then eventually kind of lead the team that oversaw the content okay. uh, and all the marketing stuff. So, um, the way it worked was I reported into Melissa who then became director of digital media and communications. Okay. And then there was a VP above her and it, you know, kept going. Um, so my idea, my hope then, which I probably didn't even talk to anybody about was basically, I'm hoping that by just going in there and, you know, hitting home runs and kicking ass every day that I'm going to get to be basically to like Melissa's level, but they'll break me off and I'll be managing communications or content or whatever we call it. That was, that was in my mind. Okay. And I thought if I just do this long enough, but, but my trajectory, I was always much shorter. I'm like, if I do a really amazing job for two years, what, what's going on boys? You know, where's yeah, my, why do, I have to where's just, my, why do I have to keep on? Where's my promotion? Where's my raise? Where's gotcha. whatever. Uh, and maybe it's, maybe I'm looking for it too fast. I don't know, but the industry was like, it was suffering, but it was not, 
and you know it wasn't as bad maybe it was, as it, was it is 20, now. It wasn't 2020. It wasn't uh, and, uh, you know, as, as we know from where I am now, that never happened. Um, and not through really any fault of anybody's, it just kind of didn't work out that okay. way. And, uh, uh, shortly kind of, I don't know, maybe nine months or so before I left, I had a reporting change, uh, that, so they took me out from under Melissa, um, despite much protest, uh, again, you know, I'm, <laughs> I wasn't the best negotiator. I'm a bit too fiery. So I got, I got kind of angry about it and we had a, some, some heated conversations with me and my, my leadership and they okay. didn't, they didn't like that. Um, which is fine, but Don't rock so then, boat, buddy. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Right. I just shut up and shut, just, up, and shut up and do it. You know, do your but, job. so I got moved to report to a different guy. His name was Mike Gaines. Uh, you might've actually heard him. He does NOV's podcast. I've heard him. Uh, yeah. And so, and Mike was a great guy. I'd known him since uh, I'd started. He was in DDS, Dynamic Drilling Solutions, the same time I was. He managed a you know inclination product line called Flow Drift and Flow Survey. Uh, so we'd known each other a long time. I started working for him, and nothing was wrong with it or anything. It just I just saw it wasn't going anywhere, uh, increasingly so. And they let go of one of the writers, and so it kind of was me, down to me and one other person. And my efforts just weren't bearing fruit no matter what I did. Okay. Uh, and so I just knew it, I, I just knew it was time. Uh, you know, I love the people, like I said, great friends and stuff. I love the company. I had nothing against it. It was just, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. I get it. I get uh, it. yeah. I get so, it. so I left and, uh, and I, they did let me manage a couple employees for a little while. Uh, so that was cool. I got a little touch or, you know, a little taste of management and do you he, like that? I, I did. And I won't argue I'm a great manager or anything. I didn't have enough time to really figure it out. And, and you know, the gal I managed, uh, we had already worked together for, you know, a year or two. So we already knew each other really well. And, uh, the relationship was already there and it was a surprise to everybody, you know, to her, she was like, how'd this happen and stuff. And cause we were, I was more senior, but we were fairly comparable. I mean, damn divine. And, uh, yeah, and I'm like, Hey, I mean, this is what we're doing. You know, here, here's where we are. <laughs> I don't know, but, but, but no, don't she's, ask questions. she's awesome. I mean, when she, you know, she left shortly after I did, I actually hooked up with somebody at Slumberger and, uh, you know, tried, tried to, you know, help her out because so where'd, was, you, so where'd you go after NOV? Two dryer data. Okay. Yep. Here All we, right. here we are. And, uh, and so about, how long ago was that? November, 2019 okay. year and a couple months. Yeah. All right. So right, right before, and I got hired in, again, this industry and how small, Four or five months, yeah, <laughs> how small it is and everybody knows each other. And the, uh, gal that hired me there, I had worked with her at NOV. She'd been in Teleserve, which did wired drill pipe. Okay. And so wired drill pipe. Uh, interfaces with all the drilling dynamic stuff. These are like the two things that are making the automation happen, part of it. And so we'd already worked together closely. I knew her, you know, we talked over the years a little bit here and there. And uh, we just started talking and talking about, you know, me coming over. She needed a writer. Um, and I, I really only had one other thing lined up, which was with NG, uh, which is a big renewables company. And the NG thing, I'd went through like all these interviews, right. and, I mean, five interviews and everything suit and tie and, you know, polished and practiced and made sure it's all perfect. And, and I, I was, I mean, I was gung ho. I was, I was ready to do this thing. And, uh, and I talked to Jenna, her name's Jennifer can. I talked to Jennifer and, uh, you know, she was like, I need a writer. I'll bring you over. You know, how's the salary sound? I think that, I think it's fair that the, how's that sounds this, you know, this is what you're worth and blah, blah, blah. And it was good and everything was fine. I was like, I just need to see this other thing through first and right. see what happens. But I, I'm on board. You know, I went out and toured the facility and I met her VP and all that. Um, and the NG thing fell through right at the end. I actually had the job. Um, and, uh, and then I, you know, then they said they were going to put it on hold. So I had to make a decision of, do I 
wait for them, you know, to, to maybe do it or whatever, or do I lose, or do, or do I just, or do I, and lose working for, with and for a friend of mine, or do I just go? And so I made the decision, just go to gyro data. Um, you know, I told Jennifer, it just didn't work out. Right. I I can't, I can't just waste my life away waiting for a possibility. Uh, so I went to gyro data and, uh, life was good for four months. And uh, (laughs) what do you mean? What happened? (laughs) So, so we get to, you get to gyro, gyro data and uh, data, data, whatever you want to call it. It depends where you, where you're at the Mason Dixon line, whatever. Potato, potato. So, so you go there, English background, technical writing background, but it's what you do is marketing. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's, it's, yes, you graduated, you got your master's, you got your undergrad in English and an English, whatever. What t- technical? Fill me in. Help me out. English literature is my English degree. literature. Yeah. But the thing is, though, now here you are sitting in your and you're the content uh, uh, content creator or yeah, content development manager at Gyrodata. So it is marketing, you know. And so it's, it's kind of cool seeing how like you know a lot of people are, are very well. I don't have that degree. I don't have this degree. I don't have that degree. Like I didn't study that. But that that just goes to show that it doesn't matter what degree you have. Yeah. It's, you just got to make it it's happen. Transferable. I mean, yeah. It's transferable. It's transferable. I did. I went to U of H a couple, maybe 2018, I think, and actually gave a presentation to some students about that very topic. Uh, you know, that, that the uh, Dean of undergraduate studies for English, like sponsored me to go do, okay. and I gave a little hour, you know, presentation about here, here's how you can transition an English degree into all these other things. Because if it's oil, if it's energy, oil and gas, chemicals, whatever Doesn't matter, they need technical writing they, if they have executives, they probably need PR and speech writing. They might need investor relations. They might need marketing communications or copywriting for advertising. I mean, there's you know, so many. If you see a commercial on TV that has a script, somebody wrote that, right? If you, when you see an ad in a magazine or whatever that has a you know, paragraph, a copy on it, somebody wrote that. So all the, and all these are. Have you always viewed what you do as, as, as marketing? No. I mean, you know, what's funny is. I've always really tried to separate myself from, <laughs> from marketing, which Why? is funny. Um, marketing has a bad rap. Uh, number one, it's viewed as overhead a lot of times. Okay. So you have this real struggle about you. why, you know, why, <laughs> why does what I do matter? Yeah. How do I bring value? You know, how do I generate revenue? Well, I can't. So what do I do? How does what I do maybe, or maybe oh, not? So, okay. and you know, there's kind of the, the, I feel like marketing it goes in two ways. And so, there's what I like to do, which is like really factual tech, you know, semi-technical, like straight up case studies with project successes that validate their proof of performance. They okay. validate what we do. You should run this gyro because we saved the guy six hours NPT, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, or you write articles in these different publications that are more long form stuff that explains it in greater detail, get into what the technology does. Uh, podcasting. That's something I started at Jar Data. They were on one podcast in 2019 and... And we were on twenty nine and uh, in twenty twenty. So really, did did okay on that. You so know, this on is that number front. two for twenty twenty one. Because I saw that. Who did the crude audacity? Yeah, the one with Alan and Alan and Ezra. Yep. That's right. Yep. So this is number two, and there's I think there's already like four or five other ones in the works. Uh, so because I really bought into podcasting. I want to get Sean White up here. That's oh, let's do it, man. Yeah. I want to get let's that guy do it. up here. Oh, yeah. We might have to, you know, put a bag over his head and you know, drag him in. We'll do We'll do it. Whatever. Uh, That's fine. I'm fine with that. Uh, I love that guy. He's. Did you hear the other one he did? He did one a while back on Which oil, one did he do? oil and gas offshore. Yeah. Did he really? Yep. Sean, if you're listening, very disappointed you not tell me this. Okay, <laughs> yeah. go on. Sorry about that. But, yeah, so I wanted to get him involved in different stuff. And, and those things to me, you know, the other side of marketing is like the really creative stuff. It's kind of off the wall. And – 
I personally don't think this industry is the right place for that. This isn't for what for that really out there let's creative get, marketing. Let's get on this. Stuff. Let's get on this. Okay. Let's, um, get, let's get on this rabbit hole. Why? Because <laughs> I don't think that sells products. Now, before I go too deep, I'm okay with a little bit, like I'm okay with some of it. You know, I, you put some memes up sometimes or people make some things that are funny or whatever. Like I'm on board. We definitely could benefit from switching it up sometimes. Yes. A operative word sometimes, right? But when you, if it's nothing but that, you, how do you, how do you sell something? You know, how do you, how, how do I get a, a sales guy to go out to a, you know, to a rig and, or, or even to an, a customer office and they, he wants to sell our new wellbore tortuosity logging thing. And they say, well, what the hell is that? Why do I want that? Well, remember you had that uh, artificial lift uh, system that failed after four days and your well stopped producing. What if I told you I had something that you could run a gyro downhole and get a 3D view of your wellbore and understand why it failed? I'll tell you why it failed because it was in a dog leg that was, you know, multiple degrees of inclination more than it should have been. That sucker needs to be 500 feet that way. Right. And so, and then, oh, and by the way, if you don't believe me, here you go. I'll just leave this on your desk. You know, here's the case study. It do, it's done. It works. Bada bing, bada boom. Right. So that kind of stuff, that to me is like what could potentially lead to if not a sale, at least interest or an inquiry. But can you do that with, I don't know. Can you do that with a meme or something? I don't well, know. I so, mean, so no, I don't, I mean, I don't think so, but what, I, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. So I feel, uh, historically, uh, the oil and gas industry, it has been very, uh, uh the, the marketing and the content has been strictly, you know, case studies or white papers and all that stuff, which is, I think it's needed to, to as what you were saying, the, uh, the, Techno terminal gyro data tool, whatever you just said. Yeah. I think I think I think it's crucial to have that stuff because if if I'm a serious potential end user, I might want to see that. Actually, I will want to see that. Yeah. That being said, I do think I have seen a huge surge or an explosion of uh, an online presence when it comes to different companies marketing. So I'm 40. I make memes now. You know what I mean? I started doing that for a reason. I started doing that. I mean, it's all like, yeah, it's fun and games, but it's not. It's for reasons to draw people in. It's just, yeah. so it's people see, you know, around the rotary. So they, you know, potentially, you know, if they see you, they see this guy. And another side benefit is so they see CPC, you know. So mm-hmm. there's, I, I, I've seen a huge explosion in new styles and new techniques to yeah. market, whether it's memes, whether it's these creative different things, whether these drone flybys and bring people. Yeah. It's a lot more live now than it was 11 months ago. Yeah. And, you know, I'm definitely on board with some of that kind of stuff because exactly what you just said. I mean, we're in our COVID world where people are hiding out. Yep. Everything's consumed digitally. I mean, hell, even the publications, I, I don't, I think only one has a print magazine at this point. It's drilling contractor. Really? Everybody else went digital, including JPT, which was a shock to really? to me at least. Oh man, those uh, are the best ones sitting around a customer's lobby. Yep, just flag, that. flagship publication. Yeah, you know? but I mean that thing's getting shipped out to seventy thousand people, so it's like that's a lot of money uh, to ship that thing around. So it's kind of, I guess SP didn't have enough money, you know. I don't know, but um, it's all digital now. But I'm not. But I'm not saying that you know, like if if you are launching a marketing campaign, hey, focus on memes. I'm saying it, it needs to be. It needs to bring, I guess, a whole approach to it. You need yeah, to absolutely. create yeah. content to get viewers in, and you have to actually have the target approach, such as you know, mm-hmm. case studies. So I think it's kind of... Oh, I'm, some stuff for visibility and just uh, for to build a brand yeah. and to attract interest and ha- even have a little fun. 
100% on board. I've been excited to see LinkedIn, what it is, besides all the political bullshit out there. (laughs) I've been excited to see how companies are, you know, getting creative, you know what I mean? Whether they're incorporating, you know, you know, downhole, uh, 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 DWS has been doing you know, the power glide. They've been mm-hmm. doing like Captain America. Like, it's like, what? Like, yeah. I, I don't get that, but I dig it. You know, like it, yeah. it's, it's cool seeing the innovation, I guess over the past 11 months, because how do you get in front of people these days? How do you communicate your company's, uh, personality? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's for sure. I mean, and that's something totally agree. You can't, as far as brand building uh, and creating kind of a image of, you know, the culture or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, you, technical papers and all that can't do that. I mean, that those have one potential purpose, and it's sales enablement. Um, it, but the other stuff, yeah, that you need that for everything else. And now it's more or less challenging, maybe depending on where you are, right? I mean, because depending on the size of the company, the resources at your disposal, I mean... The leadership allowing the, you to Yeah, to, them to wanting. And yeah. so do you have... Kind of like NOV, for example, does stuff like that sometimes because the CMO is very uh, creative like that. David? David Reed. Yeah. So he he wants to do all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and you know, he's a C-suite executive. Clay's a C-suite executive. He trusts his other person to do what he needs to do. I think we got him come on the podcast later this month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and he was, you know, he was like my boss's boss for a little while, you know. So, I mean, we worked with him a lot. Um, so company of that size, they can do it really effectively because – they have graphic designers and artists and animators right. and all these people. They have all these resources. You know, for me to do that, for example, I'm sitting in front of a PowerPoint. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I'm in PowerPoint. Well, so. a, I, a, I can't even if I want to. I'm a writer. You know, somebody the other day was like, "Do you have Adobe Creative Suite skills?" It's like, bro, I, I can open Adobe Reader. Like that's that's as far as is I'm it, going. Is it on the App Store? Yeah, download it. <laughs> yeah, is that how you say YouTube in your do language? You, do, like, <laughs> do you see? Do you see the content that uh, companies are putting out there? I mean, you can speak to Jared or. Uh, if you want to, or you can speak on, on a broader level. Do you see the the, the content the companies are out there um, evolving over the past? I guess uh, we're, we're recording this in uh, G- uh, January eighth of twenty twenty one. Do you see the content changing or kind of shifting to a, a certain theme or themes? I guess over the past eleven months, twelve months. Y- yes, for sure. I mean, as far as our data, not not as much. I mean, because we, you know, we're private. Right. Uh, we're not, you know, beholden to investors and investment sentiment and all that. So that's a little different. We just focus more narrowly on what's important to us. So whether it's a certain piece of technology or, uh, you know, a certain success or what somebody's doing or whatever, that, that kind of stuff, that's what we do. But right. for the industry as a whole, you know, a lot more focus on ESG is right. this really dominant topic uh, and definitely a lot more focus around, uh, you know, things like digital and remote, uh, remote ops and all that kind of stuff. And, but, and how does that all tie into the, uh, that side of it for the investment community where, because they're trying to appease both, uh, you know, an investment community that doesn't want to give us money anymore. Uh, yeah. That's put, that's pulled money and sees that the, this industry is not giving returns. So how do you convince them that you're going to make money and how do you convince them that, uh, you're going to do this in a way that's, you know, sustainable. I mean, that's environmentally conscious and sustainable. And uh, a lot of the messaging, the sad thing is a lot of our messaging centers just on ESG as this really high level thing. Like, hey, we're going to be greener. You know, that's we, the thing. Do you we think? put some solar panels out there. That's but the it, thing, though. Everyone's talking about ESG right now. I mean, but is it a buzz? I mean, do people think it's a, I feel like it's a buzzword these days versus actually 
people actually get it, not getting it, but like. No, I mean, there's some aspect of that, I think, because it's been tossed around so, uh, so liberally that. Yeah, people. It's easy to catch on. ESG. Yeah, ESG. Oh, you got, hey, you're going to do a new ESG report, right? I'm going to pick some ESG up at the, the <laughs> store. I'll be at location <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's that aspect of it, and and a lot of it is these companies are making these kind of really half-hearted or, or even fake attempts to look like they're green, quote unquote. Uh, and what we need is reality. What we need is what's actually happening. And I, like I was telling you earlier, that's why I was I liked NG was because they divested all this stuff and they got rid of their E&P assets with GDF Suez and they got rid of, okay. you know, NG was GDF Suez. So that was the rebrand. But they, so they got, I, knew, I knew that. <laughs> but they got rid of their E&P. They got rid of their LNG side. They sold off almost all of their coal. So really all they have now is their core gas, uh, which at least is, you know. Hopefully everybody can admit they can't, but everybody should admit that this is like, okay. And, you know, pretty, pretty environmentally. Okay. Um, and they have, you know, wind and solar and bio and all that. And they put their, they put their money where their mouth was. And they said, all right, we have these lucrative businesses that we're just going to sell off and invest in all this new stuff. Cause we're going to be net zero and that's going to be the thing. So that's a little different than somebody saying 80% of our revenue is still going to come from hydrocarbon E and P. And we're going to keep drilling wells and doing all and and drilling, completing wells, and you know, putting the oil, uh, you know, in the barrel, and life's good, and send that stuff off. Uh, but we're green now. Look, look, we're we're going to build some panels, okay? Look, man, there's a new wind farm. Look how beautiful the wind farm is. And it's like, yeah, but if your fundamental mission or what you do isn't changing, I'd rather you focus on the the story and the importance of what you do do, which is providing, you know, in, in general, low cost, abundant energy to the world right. and allowing people to live their lives like they do. Uh, that's what we do, right? That's what we do every day or, or not me specifically, but that's what our people do is enable us to live the lives the way we live them. And how do you tell those stories and, and talk about our people and what they do and the sacrifice they make? And, you know, they're working in environments and, you know, dangerous. That, 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 so, so what you just said right there, I think that is the, that is a key thing kind of I want to segue into next. I mean, right now in our industry, <clears throat> I mean, there's, there's people that are just loud and proud, oil and gas, oil and gas, oil and gas. Like that's not, I mean, yes, in our community, that's great. You know, we're, we're, we get it though. Our community, you don't have to convince that we love yeah. the oil and gas industry for what we do, how we provide, you know, uh, low-cost energy to, to the world, how we provide jobs, support communities. You don't need to sell anyone on that. But I feel like us as an industry does such a poor story on on winning the hearts and minds based on uh, telling stories. You know, yeah. we, we're so fact-driven. Like, oh, well, how, you know, that, uh, that, that jacket you're wearing has 3% hydrocarbons. How do you feel about that? And that's, that's not a story. Yeah. It's a fact. And, and, and that's not going to – so I kind of wanted to bring this up right now, if you don't mind if we segue into this right now. No. Um, and I'm basing this on kind of something that piqued my interest. You you, you commented on something on, on LinkedIn recently that was kind of uh, – uh, it was said, uh, are we finally getting the tipping point – in the defeat of fossil fuels, kind of phrasing it up that uh, it's it's fossil fuels in one corner versus renewables in the other corner. Um, can you talk to me about um, number one? And I don't know where this is going to go. I'm fine with it. I'm just going to throw a lot of shit on the table. I want you to pick up what you want to and go. Number one, the actually let's break it down: fossil fuels versus renewables. Give me your stance on that, and I, I love your stance on this, and I would love 
for other people to hear it. But um, it's not an us versus them mentality. No. And, and, you've been, and you've been promoting that. And this is actually something that you, us as an industry, can actually take. So if we are having these conversations with, with people that hate us because we're the new coal or new tobacco, whatever you want to call it, can you can you kind of uh, uh, give me your thoughts or your position on uh, 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 fossil fuels versus renewables? Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, I like you said, I mean, this mentality of it being us versus them, and even fossil fuels or you know oil and gas versus everyone. It's often not even just renewables. It feels like it's a- everyone in the you, world. You see that meme I did about uh, the. Wonder Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, where the main villain is black. Yeah. I, a com- sea of black gold. I commented on that same thing. You know, it's like I dug it. Uh, this is you know, yeah, we're gonna have a bunch of freaking seven year olds that are they want to be woke, and so they're gonna say oil and gas bad. You know, but no, I mean that my take is, yeah, the, this mentality of us versus them, me, it, it accomplishes nothing, and it's defeating. Uh, and, and articles like that, that have these, you know, hyperbolic headlines clickbait. around it's clickbait. They want to get, they want to get, you know, I hate to go that deep, but I mean, they really want to get like far left political, uh, you know, green advocates to click on something. Well, but, but also here's the deal. Also, another thing for the us versus them mentality, it's not just fossil fuels. It's everything right now in our, in our, uh, in our environment, in our world right now. You yeah. know what I mean? Everything. I mean, whether it's oh, the yeah. type of clothing you wear, whether it's where you go eat, uh, your lunch, whether it's, if you wear a mask or not, whether it's, if you care about this, wash your hands three times a day, everything is kind of this versus that. And it shouldn't be that way. Everything's polarized. Sorry. Yeah. So go on. Uh, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. Everything's polarized. It's like everything needs to be like an argument. Have, like you have to be in a camp. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, you you must feel this way, right? Why? And you must feel one way or the other. And it's like, hey, look, I almost work for a renewables company. I'm on board with the idea of renewable energy. Like I, I'm actually you know, I, I wrote something effective like I'm happy when I see successful renewable projects. There's no reason for me not to be happy. But you know, that doesn't mean that we can replace oil and gas tomorrow. And that's the weird rallying cry around renewables is like Oh, the world's burning and, you know, climate change and stuff. I'm like, look, I believe, I believe in climate change. I do too. I can see it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's fake, but that doesn't mean that unless you want to go back to the stone age, right? If we're going to live in, you know, in, in mud huts we just don't have to take with, with, uh, you know, with, with light and fires with sticks, Boy Scout style, you, we can't, you can't get there. Okay. So here, I'm, I'm going to phrase this question for you. Let's say I'm, uh, I'm roughneck Jerry and I'm standing there, you know, in line, ready to get a hamburger. And uh, someone has this conversation with me about renewable energies and how they're great and fossil fuels are bad. How would you handle that? Well, so like people, yeah. <laughs> people, people no, people out there listening. I mean, you engage in, in 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 rational, logical dialogue. Like, hey, look, we're not against renewables. We're not. That being said, yeah, I mean that that's really what I would you know I would tell anyone that is you know arguing that way would be, you know. A, I see where you're coming from, right? This this isn't a confrontation. It's not like something I said, like, it's not a battle. There's yeah. no need for this. And I, I see where you're coming from. I'm on board, you know, a, and I can even admit there's some bad things about oil and gas. We made a lot of strides, uh, you know, things that were taken a long time, 10 years ago, take an hour now. Yeah. And people aren't on, you know, in the red zone all the time. They're, uh, they're off site or they're, uh, you know, somewhere safe where they won't be in harm's way and getting their thumbs lopped off because they're throwing chains and equipment's automated. And I mean, the list of all this stuff goes on and on, whether that's for ESG or HSE or whatever you want to call it, even just process efficiency and how we, 
how fast we can get resources out of the ground without damaging the environment. So we made a lot of progress. So I definitely say that because some people are just like, oh, it's so terrible. It's like, you should have seen it 40 years ago. Yeah, maybe then it was terrible when wells were gushing oil and stuff all over the place. Isn't but. it safer to work on a rig than I, – I, I remember when I was in HSC at Noble, I remember it was safer to work on a rig, an offshore platform, than it was to work at like McDonald's or something like that. Yeah, I mean with how far all that's come, I, I you know, I've – I would say, I guess, a rig that's following all the procedures correctly for sure. But yeah, I mean, that that wouldn't surprise me because there's so much technology. There's been so much innovation. And that, that's what I tell the non-believer too is I'm on board. I want to see progress just as bad as you do. I want, I want my grandchildren and their grandchildren. I want the human race to have a planet to live on yeah. before the sun crashes into it in 3 billion years or whatever. I want us to last, you know, so I'm, I'm on board, but just think rationally Until about this. Then. Yeah, but think rationally about this. And maybe it only takes a hundred years. Maybe it takes two hundred. Maybe it takes five hundred. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have my crystal ball. But you know, I would say, think about what you have right now, and you know, think about the way you live your life, and just understand that that's that's the result or the product of what you loathe. So there's a lot of irony in what you're saying, right? <laughs> and, and, and you know what's funny, too? It's like I have not met one person in the oil and gas yet. And I'm sure there are people out there. I just haven't met them yet that are against renewable energy. You know what I mean? T- typically it's, not. I it's, mean. It's, we're in a dance right now, which is fine. But at the same time, until, we, until they figure their waltz out or they figure their two-step out, whatever you want to call it, we're still going to be providing – the necessary jobs, the necessary the, 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 the energy for these people yeah. to, to have. That's a great point. You don't even consider the job implications when people say comments like that. This industry employs hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, right? I mean, so where'd all those people go? You know, where do these drilling engineers go and stuff? Like we, this is a resource, not only that's enabling you to live your life the way you live it, but it's also enabling people, people to feed their families. I mean, this is serious, right? Like, and people that are in, incredibly intelligent, highly skilled, they have talents that you know very few other people have. There's SMEs and all that. Um, Isn't it like one drilling rig like like one drilling rig impacts like 800 or something like that jobs or people or something like that? Like something. Oh like yeah, because once you all through the procurement yeah, and yeah. supply chain and ops and you know everything and the actual and field coordination and actual rig staff and blah blah blah. I mean. But here's and going back here's the deal. it's it's not it doesn't have to be an, uh, us versus them it doesn't have to be a ba- not everything has to be a battle it no. can be a conversation like look I get where you're coming from I I dig that too you know I I, yeah. I respect uh, you know but we're not there yet no and I mean you know definitely there's room for collaboration and for and for dialogue I mean that's what we need to do is we're working on it right we've got carbon capture you know CCUS we've got geothermal has, has gotten crazy in the past, you know, year, um, with all these new projects and stuff we've got, you know, we are already incorporating solar and biofuels into our processes and how we run equipment and how we power things. I mean, hell at NOV, we had a solar pump in a village in Kenya that provided water for like 600 kids. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. It might not be Kenya, no, but it, no, it was I, something like that. And no, that's and incredible. Even, I mean. even the flaring. I mean, I had Jonathan Brignac on here with a Edge Virtual uh, Pipeline, and they're capturing the methane. They're actually converting it to diesel. They're, so they're saving costs and all stuff. So it's, it's one of those things. So let's talk about industry advocates. This is kind of the segue. So I noticed on that on that post you did on LinkedIn, I mean, the, the way you engage with this person, it wasn't a – 
you weren't digging your heels in the sand. Um, it was a very good, even though the responses you were getting were kind of shitty. You know, there were people like, oh, yeah. so you're saying you want grandma to die? By yeah. No, I'm not saying that, asshole. Just yeah. listen. But um, can you read? <laughs> how how can we be, how can the oil and gas industry be industry advocates? Not on this grand scale, you know, oh, this is an industry, need to be doing this. But how can we do it on a personal level? Yeah. When you when you have these conversations with someone, when you when when you hear about something like this, what is the best way that you feel would be to engage in a conversation like this? I, I think it's I mean, to be non confrontational, that's what I always try to do. There there's nothing gonna be gained by me fighting with somebody on LinkedIn about something that they don't agree with me with. Especially if they're already their comment is already showing some vitriol. I mean And they know. If you're already fighting with me when I've posted something that's sane and rational and, and Hey, if you don't agree, that's okay. Let's talk or let's have a discussion. But as soon as you start flinging, you know, insults and stuff, I mean, I think some guy said something, he was like, well, you're the misguided one. It's like, I saw that. It's like, no, it's just not even worth it anymore. I, because you've already, you lost me. I don't yeah. care. I don't even, I don't even need to change your mind. You know, <laughs> you know what I always say? You know what I say? I always, whenever someone's so dug in like that, I'm saying, I always say, okay, is there anything I can say right now to make you change your mind? And if there's not, then I don't have that conversation. Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? It's a waste of time. It's I a mean, waste of time. So just, I would approach it, you know, as, as rationally and kind of politely as we can. I mean, and that's, that's what you see a lot of on both sides, even oil and gas people, they get guilty of, they rely on these cliches of, you know, well, if, you know, if you don't like oil and gas, you should let your home be cold in the winter type. Oh, you shouldn't wear your lipstick. Yeah. If, you know, don't take you, your medicine. You know, did you know those wind turbine, the, the, those blades go into ground and they can't be recycled? And it's like, look, I get it. And I, and I, and don't and, argue facts. And that's, and that, and I get it. That's bad. And that is bad, but perfect. Exactly what you said earlier about we're an insular community and we all love to pat each other on the back about all this kind of stuff. So you talking about we can't recycle wind blades. Everybody knows this. Yes. Uh, you're not going to change any renewable advocate's mind about it by saying that. So all you're going to do is reinforce your existing viewpoint or bias by by talking about that. Oh, they kill birds. I've heard that before. You know. So do we. You, you know, oil you, field. You know what kills First more? Off, yeah. <laughs> you know what kills more birds? People in the oil field. Yeah. That's what kills more birds yeah. when it's dove season. Hunt, hunting, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't, don't give me that uh, shit. pretty much anything but a, a, a wind turbine. So I mean, we don't need to approach it that way, right? That that because that accomplishes for both sides, and both sides are guilty of it. And then you know, renewals people say, oh, you know, oil and gas so polluting, this and that. There was a Bloomberg article that was a while back, and the artist, and it had another headline about you know, some hyperbolic, oh, the death of oil, finally we can save the world type nonsense. And the first image, it showed a picture and it was a cartoon, like a cartoon, like a stylized and it had a picture of this like orange, like toxic barrel in the middle of a forest. And it had holes punctured in it and it was leaking this like purplish black liquid all over the forest and you know, all the trees are wilting and oh, dying. That's and what, that's what the and, only gas industry yeah, loves. And I, and I mean, I was like, I was actually talking to a guy at IDC and I was like, I was like, that's, I was like, that's weird. Is that how we store oil? <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea. So are you telling me we put bar uh, single barrels of oil in random like glens in the forest? Well, you have to punch holes it? in it. You have to punch holes well, in somebody's it. Somebody's got to do it. Comes it. A yeah. It Is that a job? Like, can I, can I get, <laughs> can I get a hired to do that? Like part-time? I mean, but that, that's a thing. It's like, and people actually think that that's how, that's how blind they are. They'll see that and be like, those oil bastards polluting our forest. And it's like, but are you, are but, you, but it's up to dumb? Us. Like, but, but, but time out, but it's we up need to, us. to educate. We need to educate, not in a way where it's like, oh, well, yeah, the deodorant you use is this. Don't, don't patronize. No, yeah. no, it's, it's like, yeah, I get it. It's, it's, it's like having any conversation, you know, it's like, yeah. no, I get it. I yeah. do, I do. That being said, 
And, and I'm willing to be, and that's my thing. I'm willing to be educated too. Like something I don't know or something about renewables that I'm not aware of or, yeah. and, I, and I always ask that kind of stuff. I'm like, if you, if you can inform me of an alternative to, you know, internal combustion engine cars that are gasoline powered, that's more widely available at the, the same price point for the average consumer and better for the environment. If you can tell me about that, Hey, my ears are open. But you can't because it doesn't exist yet. And it will, I think, at some point. But right now, you want to buy a Tesla. You, you want to buy a Model 3 with the extended battery. Sorry, boys. Pony up your 50 grand. Go to the store and buy it. And, you know, take a look at that lithium-ion battery in there. So, so. first and foremost, <laughs> the first step is this. Number one, it's it's not an us versus them mentality. No, it shouldn't. No, Everything it shouldn't. these days, is us versus, it's not an us versus them. It's, look... I get it. We're in it together. That being said, we're we're providing a, a an energy service, a low cost energy service that this world can function on. Because we're not there yet. It's not twenty twenty two where it's like, oh yeah, let's just fly around and water yeah. turbine. Whatever. Yeah, we're, we don't have the uh, what is it? We don't have the hyperloop ready yet. You know, from Musk and stuff. We're not. <laughs> we're not quite there. I we're mean, not there yet. And hey, maybe we will be one day, and maybe in you know. Sometime, car you know hydrocarbons won't be as necessary, or maybe even necessary at all. Somewhere way down the line, I'm sure you and I will be long gone, um, and and that's and that's fine. Uh, where, do you, you know? where do you see a proactive step in uh, in us? You know, sitting here at the table. You know what? Screw the industry. Where do you see a proactive step with you and me, Stephen and JP, sitting here to be advocates for our industry? Starting conversations, I think, and uh, you know, trying to create this dialogue with people that might have the same views that we do, even, even when that's frustrating or challenging, I think that's definitely something we can do. I think it's also about building that same mentality with our peers. Uh, you know, I think I was mentioned earlier, I saw Ron Gusek, who's, uh, I want to say he was with Liberty, the president of Liberty or something, or, you know, something I could be saying that wrong, but he posted about a bunch of stuff that was, uh, more pressing issues that our our planet is facing right now with things like poverty and, you know, infant mortality and things like that, all these issues that they're facing that... Which is factual. He, he, which is factual. But they said, I, you know, we recognize that, like, climate change is real and blah, blah, blah. And he saw that. But, like, can we focus on actually making real change in the world and doing good for people instead of fighting about this, this topic of oil and gas being the devil? How'd that go over? My, my words, not his. You know, How'd that go over? Phrasing. Uh, it, it, it was universally acclaimed and well-received. I mean, likes and people commenting on it. And I, you know, that's what I want to see. I want to see oil and gas leadership talk in that way, basically saying like, we recognize that the future is, is unclear. Uh, nobody has a ma- you know, they, they haven't got a magic eye that's going to predict what's going to happen. Right. We can't even predict what's going to happen in a month and, you know, commodity prices and stuff. Who the hell knows what's going to happen in, in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's why you always see these companies talking about their 2050 plan will be net zero or whatever. It's like, dude, you're going to, the CEO, you're going to be dead at my, 2050. My, like, <laughs> my, my 2050 plan is hopefully I'm alive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 2050, I'll, you know, I'll be, I don't even know how I'll be in my mid sixties. It's like. I, I hope I'm I'm even, I'm still around and kicking, but I'm definitely not gonna be worried about that. So it's like, you know, let's just have a conversation and support support the industry like he did. That's what we need is leadership to step up and 
You saw that, like the Innovex CEO, yeah, with the jackets North and stuff. Face. Loved that. You know, yeah. I, I put up. It was, it was very factual. Yeah, and I put up something about that. It was factual without being uh, you know, accusatory. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like you're you're stupid. It was just like, hey, look, hey. maybe maybe you don't realize that. And hey, guess what? That's okay. Let me help you. You know, let me help you understand. And does North Face understand or not understand? They probably do understand. It was just bad business. Oh you know? yeah. But but in a general sense. How can our leaders stand up? And we really need the big companies do that. Too. You know what? It's the big companies, but honestly, like change starts with 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 us. A single you voice. Know, I, yeah. I I think it's one of those things where it's us as a community need to need to you know get out there in our communities, whether it's you know volunteering and make start talking to people, make friends. Like, oh yeah, you know, I work for a uh, I work for Capital Petroleum Consultants. They, yeah, we do. We you know we're oil field and all that stuff. Yeah, they get to know you versus it's uh, you're this you know dude in a suit and tie that wants to go to Africa. And dump oil in the, you know, <laughs> yeah. spill, punch holes yeah. in the oil barrel and yeah, just yeah. seep out. So it's connecting with people. It's talking to people outside our little uh, bubbles and yeah. uh, and just get letting them know that we're human too and that we have families yeah. and we do good. We're doing what we're doing to support them, yeah, right? Absolutely. And and and, the, and our way of life. And, you know, that's a, that's a good point about, you know, what can you and I do? I mean, it's storytelling. It's like what you do with the podcast. You try and have people on and reveal a new facet or something you didn't know or some kind of nugget of information. And, you know, what I try to do with my writing, not my technical writing, but with my more journalistic style stuff is like, I want to capture stories that move people. And we've historically been very bad at that because, because people like me, maybe we're really not given the, there's not a lot of me's. I mean, you know, as far as like writing, there's, and oil there's, and only, gas and there's stuff. only one you. There's only one, there's only one you. But as far as like writing in the industry, you know, I mean, we're we're around, but it's not it's not like you know ubiquitous or anything. We're not. There, every company has a few of them. I mean, and you know, some of the stuff I've been doing for OGGN is like that's what I'm trying to do is Good. take these stories of amazing people and and then pull out something that just like is like a holy shit moment, you know, that, yeah. and that everybody deserves to hear, you know, I mean, I was talking to Scott Gale and, uh, with Halliburton Labs and he was telling me about how he was a missionary for two years. And I'm just like, what, you know, Dude, th- that's incredible. And th- and he was like, huh, you know, I don't really talk about this much. And it's like, what? Like, this is the coolest thing ever. The stories we have and the stories, and, and that's what our industry needs to focus on is the stories. It doesn't need to be facts. It's like, yeah. oh, that's 70% petroleum products. Yeah, it's so just, you need me. It's no, just people no. and impact and what we do. And that's the thing. I've, you know, Andrew Coronado was a musician. Uh, there's there's so many cool different aspects. You know, you were a teacher. I mean, there's so many. Our industry is filled with so many individuals that aren't these, which is great. So let's start talking to people. Let's start telling stories. Let's start telling stories on how we've helped people out. I mean, yeah. I guarantee you, there's more people in the oil and gas industry that have helped people their neighbors, their communities during this downturn when, when they couldn't find income or couldn't do those. And yes. It's like, well, I'm just doing what any other person would do, but those are the stories that we need to be telling yeah. to others, to ourselves, yeah. to others. And those stories not only can be a, you know, a positive kind of image reinforcement type thing, or even an image change, you know, a vehicle to change the perception of who we are. But they can even be marketing tools sometimes. Yeah. So everybody wins, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the ones I was doing was a guy, Brady Neal, and he's the CEO of this company called Corasource and started off with some corrosion control and things like that. And then they got into emergency medical response on well sites. And they put a command center out there 
and they got an EMT on site. They got triage. They got okay. you know, all this stuff. They got thermal imaging so you can see all the temperature of the different you know, frack pumps or whatever. They got fire suppression equipment and monitoring and sensors. This is pretty cool stuff. And he was telling me that, you know, and something I, I wrote about in the article, it'll come out at some point in the not too, not too distant future. Um, but he was telling me about, you know, they were on the site one time uh, for, I think it was for KLX Energy. And, and they were on the site and this guy came into their command center and was just like old, like grizzled old dude, you know, and oh, been been with Halliburton for 40 years. Right. And he's a consultant Jerry. and stuff. Yeah. And they thought he was going to come in there and laugh him out of the place because change is bad. What the, what the hell is this command center crap doing on my well site? You know, the, I've never seen anything like this. And he went in there and he got real kind of somber and reflective. And he was like, man, I wish I'd had technology. You know, I wish we'd had technology like this 20 years ago when I was on a, I was on a site and my friend died in my arms. And they're just like, oh, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And he's like, yeah, my friend uh, on the well site, you know, and uh, back in, you know, 99 or something. Yeah, he had, a, he had a heart attack on the site. It was remote. Had to get him out by chopper. Didn't show up for 12 minutes. I'm giving the dude CPR and pressing his chest and he died. He died right in my arms. My, my buddy that I got the job. He was like, man, what I wouldn't give to have had that back then. And I'm just like, dude, that's impactful. I'm like, bro, what, I want this on a billboard. Like, this is incredible. And you know, why, why doesn't every well site have this now? You know? And he's like, man, you know, this is a really emotional story for me. And da da da. And I'm like, look, it's emotional for me too. Like, this is incredible. And that's the kind of stuff we need yeah, to capture. Yeah. Not the, because like like I was just describing it, oh, it's emergency response on the well side, thermal cameras. Like that's the flyer. That's, that's the that's the cool part. That, that's the, the marketing but flyer. The story but is, the story is somebody lost someone. Yeah, and and how many times has that been repeated and not told? Right. Yeah. I mean, for ev- for every one of those that I heard, I mean, people are you know people have accidents on the well, and it's not just a heart attack. I mean, it could be you know there's a blowout and you get severely burned, and what if there's not somebody on the site and you die or yeah. whatever? I mean, there's this is dangerous. That's these people work in unbelievable conditions to get us the resources that allow us to live happy lives. And how many of them perish in the line of doing that? You know, I don't know any statistics, but perish even, or but, get injured. E- but even one is bad. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, when he told me that story, I was like, we need to, this has to be in there. You know, this has to be in the article and I'm going to blast this thing to the moon and back. And that's what we need is like stories like that and find these amazing it people. Needs to be, it needs to be personal. Yeah. We don't do a good job doing that, but we're getting better. We're trying. We're getting better. And tug at the heartstrings a little. I mean, because even people that aren't in oil and gas have have hearts (laughs) and they feel things. And so when you put that out there, if people that aren't in our community, because you know it's going to resonate with our community, they get it. Oh, yeah. But even if, you know, some dude, some accountant or, uh, you know, a finance dude or whatever in some office somewhere reads that kind of story, they're like, wow, you know, or hell, maybe even a procurement or something person reads it and they're like, man, I should like, I should add well site safety. You know, I should add emergency response to our AFE. Why isn't that on every well? Let's just bump the AFE up by like 20 K and put a freaking command center on there. So nobody dies anymore. And I mean, I made that money up, but basically like the idea of the, the, the how do we change per, the personal stories or is not just going to get to, you know, our community, but that's the stuff that gets to, you know, someone sitting in Montana, uh, Connecticut or whatever that, that, that don't, that will understand our industry and the people. And it's not our industry. We're people. You know what I mean? And, and that's what people are easy to do when they do this us versus them mentality, oil and gas, fossil fuels versus we're still people. You know what I mean? And uh, we have families. We love our people. This is the best people in, out there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So we need to be a better job at telling stories and connecting with people, whether you, they agree with us or not. Yeah. 
it's all, it's just one, you know, one step at a time. I mean, that's, that's what we can do is just keep, do, just, just keep, keep talking, keep trying, keep talking, have the conversations. Steven, what else you got for me today, buddy? What am I not covering besides a uh, cheesy, by the way, Steven walked in first time I ever met him was about, uh, Two hours ago, <laughs> I think he immediately became one of my best friends out there because the guy and I have a lot of uh, uh, similar interests, whether it's uh, rock and roll, Black Sabbath, uh, Metallica. We talked about Slayer earlier, <laughs> Bourbon, and uh, yep. cheesy 80s, uh, 90s horror flicks, which oh, I dig, yeah. man, the slashers. And, and you actually watch Poultry, poultry Guys. Poultry and, Guys uh, is a true what classic. Was Jesus yeah. Christ Vampire Slayer? Jesus Christ Vampire Slayer. So this, so my wife and I, we love watching cheesy horror movies. Like, not, my, I'll tell my wife watches. You know, there's that meme. It's like whenever your girl watches just horror films, red flag. <laughs> I get it. Like, it's awesome. It's awesome. But, uh, yeah, so uh, so what's, uh, what's, what's, in, what's in line for you this weekend? Man, I'm... I'm gonna watch a cheesy horror movie tonight, probably. Anything, uh, anything online? You know, I, you know, and I don't know. We pick it, it; it's always picked instantaneously. It's like whatever mood strikes. What if you have two really cheesy, shitty horror movies? Which one do you go? With? Is it more gore? Or is it the is it the the name of it? Um, we'll usually watch the preview and then decide. I mean, if it's like totally ridiculous, we might just pick that one. Yeah, and sometimes it'll be like, you know, it'll be like maybe a couple really dumb ones or ridiculous ones it. and then we'll watch a more serious like last weekend we watched the you know the criterion remaster the hills have eyes oh my god so the like, original you know beautiful not the remake just the remaster oh, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. so it, so it's nice it's beautiful you know yeah i mean and it was incredible and i actually enjoyed it and i i'd never I'd, wasn't I well, one of wes anderson's time. first movies the last house on the left i think yeah, it was i think so yeah. have you seen the last house on the left uh-huh okay yeah. you remember that one scene <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah, but, do you have anything else want, that you want to plug or bring up or discuss or anything like that? We got time. I mean, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I'm I'm just I'm happy to be here. It's a it's a Friday afternoon. It's a beautiful day out. I got to I got to sip on a, a decent whiskey for a little while. You, brought, you know, you brought a pretty legit uh, bourbon. And what'd you bring in today? Yeah, I brought us a Booker's. Uh, you know, Booker's is kind of the like the you know high end or flagship from uh, Jim Beam and. And no, Noe Booker. Uh, is the, so it's a you know it's a true bourbon. And what's your go to uh, house bourbon? Um, depends. I mean, I'm really more of a Scotch guy, actually. Really. Uh, so, but I you know I, I thought everybody brings bourbon. I better bring bourbon. Bring whatever you want, buddy. <laughs> no one has to bring <laughs> yeah. anything to this show. But, but I, I love something. bourbon. I mean, you know, I, if I if I'm just getting one that I know well, it yeah. might be like a, ba- a Basil Hayden's or That's something like that. Um, if they have Booker's, I'll get a Booker's. Like. Well, for the record, no one has to bring it to the podcast. No, you, people I mean, just do. But it's we want awesome. to, you know. I mean, I and, love it, and it was fun finding it because this is kind of a hard to find, and it's not like outrageously expensive or anything. But it's just kind of a what do they call it? A allocated. I've I've noticed so. that I've noticed that uh, finding the the hunt of bourbon is almost as fun as actually yeah. drinking. It. I mean, well, disagree, but you know what I mean. I mean, I can just go to Specs and just look at them all, and I just wish I had like five thousand dollars with me because it's like all these. I want to try it all and just, you know, all these oh. different flavors and stuff. Only if it was 2015, the old field, we, <laughs> yeah, could, we right. could have done that. Yeah, now we're in 2020. You know, funny when I got hired at NOV and it was right before that, you know, really bad downturn kind of, you know, end of 2014, early yeah. 2015. Yep. And our VP who was overseeing some of the automation stuff, I remember the first time I met him, it was me and him and Melissa. And, uh, you know, and he said, Man, they really snuck you in here before the uh, you know before the funding ran out. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I was like, uh, thanks, bro. Th- th- thanks, Tony. Uh, but you know, hey, 
I was been there like two months, so it's okay. You know, you, you got it. That's the thing I found with, you know, with marketing or communications or whatever is that marketing. I like that. It, it takes a little, it takes a little extra. You got to kind of, that goes back to what I was saying about, I don't, I don't want to be just a, I don't want to just, you just send me, uh, you know, a draft of an article and then me make sure that the punctuation's in the right place. The, uh, this is stupid, right? A monkey can do this. Like, yeah. I, I want you to send me a run report. Grammar check can do that. Yeah, put it put it in Grammarly. Yeah. Sign up for a yearly subscription for Grammarly Premium for, 20 for bucks. yeah for for you know a hundred bucks a month or whatever. Put ten users on it. Bada bing, bada boom. But my thing was like you know I want to be able to write about it. I want you to send me a PowerPoint and a run report and you know some bit information and a bunch of tables and graphs and charts. And then I'm going to pull all that into a narrative story about what happens. Like that's what I want to do, and I want to get it too. And I mean, it's funny because I remember a guy I worked with, uh, we were writing, uh, it was either an SP, I remember which one, but it was either an SP or an AADE paper. And um, it was on like some downhole drilling stuff with agitators right. and, you know, vibration and torque and all that. Yeah, right. And I read he, it. He, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've read it in its entirety, uh, but <laughs> but he, uh, you know, and, and I, I think it was after it was done or maybe in the process of writing it. He sent, he sent the group of us this uh, document and I just, I had to laugh because he included me on it. And he said, you know, I thought you guys would really find this interesting. It was such a nice guy. You know, he was our in-house engineer for Devin. And, uh, he said, I, I thought y'all would find this interesting. It's this, uh, you know, it's this, it's this technical, uh, publication in a, in a, in the Norwegian, you know, journal of whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it was 92 pages on like friction factor modeling and torque and drag and stuff. <laughs> First off, I wish you really, I wish that's that, that's sexy. Yeah, I mean, that, first off, that is sexy. Whew, I you know. wish you brought me a copy of that. So I, I my weekend lined out. Uh, yeah, I know. I'll have to, that'll, uh, that'll, that'll need a return. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have to come by, back and have another uh, whiskey and bring oh, that with yeah. me. We'll we have can a, just do a whole episode. We'll have a you know? five hour episode about the torque yeah. turn <laughs> friction. But it was so funny Whatever. because he thought that I could actually like read it and, and even understand it. And, you know, I actually skimmed some parts and stuff cause I was just curious and some things I actually could get. And I thought this is good. Like, this is what I want. You know, I, I can't get into formulas and mathematics and calculus and science and all that. And that's never going to be me no matter what I do. Me but either. if, if I go out and, you know, if I write something or I co-author something and someone comes to me and says, Hey, I saw that paper on topic, blah, blah, blah. Like, Tell me more about that. Like, what was that about? I don't want to have to say, oh, you know, I was just like the guy. I just like put some periods in there. I made sure the, you know, modifiers were hyphenated. Like, I want to say, oh, yeah, so you want to talk about da 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 Speak what, to it. What, what was interesting in that paper? Let me, like, help you understand. Yeah. And then if I can't get there, if it's something too deep in the weeds, then I say, hey, that no problem. Let me connect you with person A or I got person the right B. guy for it. But, or girl. You know, and, and that's how I wanted it to be was because marketing so often or communications, you know, it kind of has a bad rap. Some of it rightly, some of it not, uh, but it has a bad rap for being just uh, it's a it's a re- it's a money sink because you think about advertising and uh, you know videos and all this stuff. I mean, hell, you back in the day. I mean, it's it's cheaper now, but back in the day when print magazines were a thing, you put one one ad in a print magazine cost you ten thousand bucks, and I'm just and and the and major companies like NOV or Schlumberger or whatever. They're doing campaigns for this stuff that is, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then you're like, wait a second, we're laying people off. So yeah. that that's a struggle. I, I was in a, one of the investor meetings and one of the presidents of business unit, he asked where I worked in. And I said, I work in marketing. And he said, oh, so you work in overhead. <laughs> and he laughed about it. First off, <laughs> and I was funny. And I was like, damn, bro, the CEO is right there. But, you know, it's funny because Clay recognized the value of 
good writing and, and oh, kind yeah. of, you know, and I met him, I was, I'm on this committee or this board for SPE where we, uh, we try and find, uh, content for young professionals to, to consume for my group. We look for like stuff from industry leaders, like executives, entrepreneurs, people with great stories, you know, and uh, you ever connect to the, uh, the, the college chapters? Yeah. With that? I mean, because I, I know we had not that. With, well, the SPE college stuff goes through that sometimes. And okay. then even like a jar data, you know, we've worked with like ADU of H and SPE okay. of H and stuff. But, you know, I when I started on that committee, I was in a different section and I went to interview Clay um, and I got him to agree to it. And, you know, it was so cool. I mean, you're in a company of 40,000 people and you can email the CEO. Like, yeah, that was pretty, that was, that was pretty exciting, uh, especially for a young person in their career. Yeah. And, you know, I went and did this interview and then we kind of finished it up and he told me all this cool stuff. And this, I mean, the dude's smart, you know, he was telling me about, you know, what's your advice for young professionals? He's like, yeah, it's like, you know, Martin Luther, you know, King's sweeping story or something about, you know, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper. That's why I tell people, whatever you're going to do, just be the best. Da, da, da. But it's like, dang, this guy's, you know, this guy's, this guy's all right. He's all right. He, <laughs> and, uh, and then afterwards, you know, closed the thing, turned off the zoom and, and then he said, you know, how, like, who are you? <laughs> you know, like something like that. But basically like, how, how did this happen? Right. How did you get in front of me? Cause I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm at, yeah. I'm, I'm in the bottom rung of the hierarchy. That's fine. I was, you know, I'm, I'm in early stage of my career. How am I in, on the seventh floor in a giant office building? You're the best you know, street sweeper. At, yeah. I'm the, and, 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 you know, and so I told him, well, I'm, you know, I'm an English guy. Like I'm not your, I'm not your average, uh, I'm not your average Joe. Like I, you know, I, I, I'm a writer for a living and like I have English degrees, so I'm not a technical dude, but like, I thought this was interesting and I wanted to get your voice. And obviously from a marketing perspective, we can use this and share this out and say, our CEO did blah, blah, blah. So it creates all this additional content. Uh, and he was like, huh, you know, we have, so we have people like you, huh? Like, why don't, why don't, why don't I have you helping on like the investor relations type stuff? It's like, Yeah. Because, because I don't know anything about it, you know, <laughs> what, what are you talking about again? But, and then that kind of started a very gradual, like I would go to some of these meetings and listen in and try and understand the finance and what was going on in the company and what we were doing, what was working, what was failing, key projects, you know, profit and loss, blah, 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 all that stuff. But that was great because then I could take that back and use that to inform marketing. You know, what, what is, what works, what needs help? Uh, what's doing so badly that we shouldn't waste money helping it. You know, we might divest it. Like, so you'd have that perspective that a lot of people don't, don't have. And that, that was another thing where I, you know, I kind of would say like, yeah, I'm in marketing, but this is like not pure marketing. This is like a whole, this isn't a, it's like an amalgamation of all this stuff. That's, That's what I think is so cool about our industry. It's like, you have people from, I don't care if you're from, you know, Pecos, Texas, or whether you're from Westport, Connecticut, where I'm from, or whether you're from Bel Air, like English market, there's everyone in our industry is so unique and it's such a good blend of everyone. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's, it's 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 such a great industry. It is. And that's why I kind of want to talk about in, being an industry advocate uh, with you because you've done such a great job uh, with that. I think so, and the way you engage with people and yeah, use your skills to to help others. So. Anyway, yeah, I try. <laughs> we all try, brother. That's the only thing we came to right now. Anyway, anything else, buddy? I'm good, man. Well, anyone, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And you can find uh, Round the Rotary on uh, Apple, Spotify, whatever you're listening to right now. Uh, you can find us on uh, Instagram at uh, Round 
round underscore the underscore rotary underscore JP Warren. And everyone, this is uh, Stephen uh, Forrester, the content development manager at uh, Gyro Data. Uh, and uh, slash the con- contributing writer at Oil and Gas uh, Global Network, OGGN. And man, I want to thank you for coming in, just kind of uh, sharing your thoughts and everything from education to to, to content to, to uh, how we can have uh, healthy dialogue um, with our industry and people that may not view the same things that we do on the same side. So thank you so much. And man, I wish you the best, dude. Thanks, man. You too. I really appreciate the time. I had a good time, buddy. What a great way to spend a Friday afternoon. (laughs) I'm on board, man. man. (laughs) I'll come back every week. I want to get home and watch some uh, cheesy, uh, cheesy horror flicks with my wife right right now, dude. You might, you might hear from me later. I'll tell you, I'll tell you which one we picked tonight. We'll we'll be texting. All right, buddy. (laughs) Well, man, I appreciate it. Wish you the best and let's stay in touch. All right. Sure. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. 